This is Mind the Gap, brought to you by Calgary First Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you into a deeper discussion about current issues that divide us. This episode, we will be discussing Indigenous issues and how we respond with a true sense of biblical justice. We fully acknowledge that none of us actually have Indigenous heritage, and while we did try to get some Indigenous friends to share their stories, we know we are not speaking from personal experience. There are many stories and resources out there, and for more, go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast, click on episode 6, and some suggested resources are listed there. Now, let's step off the pulpit and into the pews. Hello, I'm Ryan Sia, and I'm joined again uh, with Sramal Ranasinghe and Pastor Brian. Thanks for coming again, guys. Good to be with you. And today we are going to be talking about um, a pretty heavy topic, actually. Uh, We're going to be talking about um, racial reconciliation and specifically with the the discoveries of the, the bodies underneath the residential schools. There were 215 bodies found near Kamloops last month, and um, another 700, over 700 bodies found um, in where was that near Saskatoon, I think, and um, unmarked graves. And that's that's really highlighted a, a big a big issue, and yeah, it, a big issue in our history and in our church as well. Um, yeah, and I think we want to talk about what our response is as as Christians in the church to this and. To start, I I thought I'd just quickly go and go around and Brian, we talked about this before, but growing up and stuff, you did you have any concept of residential schools or not not residential schools, but uh, I I grew up in Kenora, Ontario, and so I I think I lived in Kenora. That's Lake of the Woods. It's uh, east of Winnipeg, maybe two two and a half hours east of Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. I here's what I remember as a kid: I walking. And I, I feel really bad to even say what I'm going to say, but um, they we we thought of them. They were Indians, um, and mm. I would walk down the street in Kenora, and you'd walk past um, an indigenous person. Um, often they were digging through garbage, often drunk, or laying. Mm passed out on the ground sometimes with vomit next to them from, you know, drinking alcohol or whatever it might be. I remember us holding our nose sometimes. Um, I don't remember necessarily thinking bad thoughts in terms of, yeah, yeah, but I do, I do remember feeling like there was tragedy there, you know, but I didn't really think deeply about it. I just remember it was part of my memory. Um, and I don't ever remember being afraid or any of that kind of thing, but just, but sometimes they reeked like there was the, mm-hmm. because of alcohol and they maybe didn't bathe for a while or they had, you know, whatever, but just because of how yeah. terrible their situation was and the addiction and, and all that. So that's what I grew up with. And my dad was Ontario Provincial Police, OPP. Um, and so my dad had to deal with a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and this was in the, this was in the, what the 60s 70s oh this would be yeah so this would be late 50s and early 60s so probably i remember my memories are probably spanned several yeah. years yeah. several years in my you know probably maybe from age six seven to about age yeah. 11 12 yeah yeah my 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 growing up I, I grew up in in bc and um in the 90s and early aunties i guess um, and there was a there was a bit in the curriculum about you know the abuses of the residential schools and and just in general like how how Canada was was settled. Um, but it definitely the, the more I've you know learned in the last couple of years and through through whatever different workshops or seminars and and just educational pieces like it's yeah like that all that stuff was definitely not communicated um to me all all the the horrors and and really really bad stuff that was done um so yeah that was a very that's been a fairly recent learning thing for me um and stromal what what's your experience been um well i didn't grow up here so (laughs) um (laughs) I, i i did i mean i was aware of 
the existence of um, indigenous people before coming to Canada, but um, the term that I was familiar with was Red Indian. <laughs> um, yeah, right. that's what was in the books that I read, right? So did, did you know about residential schools? I, I knew nothing about, uh, about okay. the history at all. I mean, I, I was aware of like uh, other uh, like indigenous people groups in other countries like uh, the Aborigines as they're called in, in Australia. Uh, and some of the, I was aware of some of the history there. And so I, I figured that there was probably a common thread with um, like the Aborigines in Australia, the Maori people in, in New Zealand. Uh, and, and so like some commonalities there with the history of, of settling and colonization and all that stuff within Canada as well, but no specifics really. It was only after I arrived in Vancouver in 2004 uh, and I was a student at UBC. Uh, it, it was just, I mean, the, there was a lot of, um, I think the, the presence of like indigenous culture and what had happened was quite present in many pieces of, of the campus. Like for example, the, the residence that I was staying in, my first year, the first year residence was close to something that was called the First Nations Longhouse. Um, and so, uh, and there were lots of like totem poles and story poles and, and different types of art um, uh, all, the, all around as well. And as, as part of my first week kind of introduction to campus and, and being an international student and those things, we sort of had like a quick overview of, uh, of it was called Aboriginal issues back then. Uh, and so I sort of learned some of the basic um, like language, like you shouldn't, like Red Indians is not really a right, is not right. really a appropriate term to use, and that there's you know different people groups like First Nations, Metis, and Inuit, and there's like non-status Indians is, right. is the official term for those who are none of those. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, you know I learned things like that, but I never actually I didn't actually have a relationship with didn't actually know anybody who was of you know Indigenous background until my second or third year actually. Uh, when I met a couple of guys uh, through the Christian group that that Ron and I were both involved in, actually. Um, and so that was my first sort of kind of humanizing of, of, of these people that I'd learned about and sort of saw people, like saw folks around, but didn't actually know anybody personally. Um, and then since then, I think um, a lot of the learning happened um, over the years that followed because I, I went into, after I finished my... Uh, undergraduate degree in, in psychology. I did work with um, in like youth leadership development, uh, as well as with a nonprofit uh, called Free the Children. And we did a lot of work with indigenous groups around Vancouver, as well as in Northern Alberta. So there was a lot of learning kind of on the job. Um, and I had to meet with quite a few elders and we actually developed a, a leadership programming partnership with, uh, with, a group, with, with groups of elders for specifically targeting indigenous youth. So there was a lot of, there was a very steep learning curve there. And then I, I was a social worker afterwards as well. So there was again, a lot of yeah. learning there. Right. So I, I did learn quite a bit um, through those, I don't know, I guess six to eight years of, of working as well. So um yeah, I mean, I, but to this day, I've been in Canada for 17 years. Uh, I would say I still don't really, I don't really have any close personal relationships with anybody of, of Indigenous descent. Um, I've worked with them and I've, I've encountered them a lot and I've had them as clients. I had a co-worker, a couple of co-workers who were, who were Indigenous as well and got to know them fairly well. Um, and one of them, Bobby Narcisse was his name. Um, we might have even, you know, developed a friendship, but he moved back to Thunder Bay because he was originally from Thunder Bay. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm today. Yeah, and that that's interesting too because I mean, even like like I grew up in in Chilliwack, and there were a fair amount of First Nations uh, bands around there. But really, yeah, I knew I knew a handful of kids in school. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's just not really as, as integrated as, as you would expect. Like, like they, they are, they are there, but yeah, we, we don't, I don't, I don't come across um, First Nations people uh, or, you know, that, that often. Like I think 
I think, I mean, we're probably more integrated mm -hmm. with other cultures, but not that culture, which is interesting because I'm starting to think about why is that? Yeah. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not sure what the answer is to yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and so, I mean, I think part of that, so. like, and Samal, I, I think, and so, so you've done a fair amount of reading and um, learning about this. Wondering if you could just give a, I don't know, a quick <laughs> overview of whatever the last... 100, 200 years of, yeah, just, I don't know, just page. give us some, some context, um, of, of, and, and, you know, why, why there is this, this separation and, and what, yeah, what kind of issues have, have come up in the past? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, in recent times, as, as Ryan mentioned, we've, we've seen a lot of, uh, the residential schools have been in the news a lot because of the discovery of unmarked graves, uh, adding to roughly about a thousand at this point now, with seven hundred in Saskatchewan and the two hundred fifteen in, in Kamloops, um, and yeah, I mean, there's probably going to be a lot more surfacing in the, in the days and weeks and years, to, months to come as well. So I think maybe that that'll be a good starting point uh, to begin with is the so the residential schools because that's one component I think of of several components of. Uh, Canada's kind of long, complicated um, history with with Indigenous people. Um, so, uh, I mean, the residential schools were implemented by the federal government 100 plus years ago, and uh, they were administered largely by churches, actually. And the, and the aim was right. to the aim was to educate uh, Indigenous people in, in in European values and Christianity, so that they could assimilate to to this idea of mainstream society. Um, and so as part of that process, they, uh, indigenous kids were, were um, more often than not forcibly taken from, from families and placed in these residential schools in order to educate them in, in, in being a, a civilized person. You know, children were, were physically, emotionally, sexually, and spiritually abused um, through, uh, in these residential schools. And I mean, we're seeing some of the results of that now surfacing. Um, and the, uh, these schools were in operation for over a hundred years with the last one actually closing. Uh, the last one were closed in 1996 yep. uh, in Saskatchewan, which is actually, um, when, when I, when I learned that a few years ago, it was pretty shocking because I mean, 1996, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. it's only, you know, I don't know, 20 something 20, years ago, right? 25 years, 25 ago. years yeah. ago. Uh, so this is not this is not ancient history. This is not something that happened a long time ago. And we started a while ago, but but it's been continuing for for a while. Uh, it can be for a long time, and it's 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 pretty recent history in terms of of Canada. Um, so I mean, there, there's the residential schools, which is which is one component of it. But there's there's, there's a few other components as well of, of sort of our story with indigenous people. There's uh, the this whole history of treaties, which is. Um, you know relationships with with sort of settlers and and the land that the indigenous people lived on when they came and so treaties were uh were negotiated in some cases around uh land ownership uh and in some case uh, and in some cases they were just not really negotiated at all but in many cases hit treaties were negotiated but there were there were various sort of underhand methods being used uh where you know, f f uh, the, the really good land was taken under certain false pretenses, and the the folks, who, like the indigenous people who lived on those lands, were relegated to the less desirable parts of the land through some you know un un underhand methods being used by settlers. And um, but in many cases, a lot of the treaties were just not ratified or followed through on. Uh, so that's that's what that's when we when you hear the term unceded territory being used when you're referring to, to different parts of Canada, uh, that refers to those historical treaties that were negotiated, but never actually ratified and, and followed through on or honored. So that's sort of the second strand of, uh, of, of sort of settled relationships with, with, with indigenous people. And the third major strand that I would think is, is this uh, thing called the Indian Act, which was uh, put together in 1876, um, and it's actually still in use today. Uh, and it's it's this piece of legislation policy 
that legally defines who is and who isn't considered to be Indian, quote unquote Indian. Um, and I mean, historically, there was a lot of um, issues with that because historically, for example, it discriminated against women because if you were a woman of, of Indian descent, of, you know, who was covered by the Indian Act of, of Indigenous descent, uh, and you got married to uh, somebody who was not indigenous, then you would not be considered an Indian any longer. Whereas if you were a man, that would not be the case. Right. Uh, but so anyways, but it's a legal framework that defines a people group, basically, which is kind of interesting because most of us take for granted that we are who we are because of, you know, mm-hmm. our ethnic backgrounds or where we come from. We don't have government policy defining our personhood and, and, and right. who we yeah. are. Uh, and then this, this sort of second strand of like the Indian Act as well. One is like defining who they're. And the other one is sort of setting out a, gov- a governance framework for, for reserves or reservations, which is where uh, most Indian people of, of indigenous background live, uh, plots of land that have been allocated to them. Uh, and so the, the governance framework basically creates things, sets rules around like how can, how can bands, so these are groups living, uh, in places like how can these bands be created and, and what are the powers of band councils, which is sort of their version of like uh, a municipal government or whatever. Uh, but these are all dictated by this, by this Indian Act anyway. So then, I mean, those are the, the, the three sort of major streams of, um, in a nutshell, kind of capture um, uh, indigenous and, and settler relationships. Can, can you just summarize the three streams quickly? Yeah, so there, there's the residential schools. And actually what I forgot to add to residential schools is, so the residential schools were, as I mentioned before, you know, there to, to, uh, to the idea was to assimilate uh, indigenous uh, indigenous people into the mainstream, into the quote unquote mainstream culture. Right, right. Uh, so the idea was to, you know, take the Indian out of the kids, so to speak, right? Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. And connected to that is actually this whole thing that has been labeled, uh, something that happened between the 1950s and the 1980s, so again, fairly recent history, it's been labeled the 60s scoop, uh, which was during, like while residential schools were in were, were, were still running, obviously, uh, during the 60s scoop, uh, the, the federal government of Canada made a concerted effort to, to forcibly remove uh, kids from their families and put them into foster care, actually, not, not residential schools, but foster care. Um, and so uh, something like roughly 20,000 kids were, were, were removed from their families and adopted out. And uh, to this day, they're finding kids who, you know, who are removed from Canada, who are living in places as far away as um, like New Zealand and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. So that's, that's connected to the whole residential school stream. So that's, that's the one thread. And the second thread being the, 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 the treaties or, or land rights, uh, land ownership. And that's actually connected to a whole bunch of other things that I don't have time, that we don't, we're not going to go into right now, but I recommend people go search it out. So things like, I mean, check this out. Like it's, it's crazy stuff. Things like uh, the, the doctrine of discovery, which is, which is this uh, Catholic doctrine tied to a papal cyclical or papal bull, it's called, from 1493 that upholds the divine right of Christians to take land from any savage inhabitant. And that's connected to this other idea called terra nullius, which is a Latin term uh, that's basically connected to a legal claim that empty territory belongs to the state that occupies it. It's based on natural account combination of natural Roman, Roman law, as well as various European common law traditions. So the combination of this idea of Terranolius and the doctrine of discovery kind of led to this view of like, well, this land is ours for the taking. And so we can take it from the savages. Uh, so that's kind of tight. Might, kind of like might is right. Essentially, our squat, our squat like, like, like yeah. we, we have the might, but we also got here. Uh, yeah. We got here and right. we, like, we have more capacity. So this land is right. ours for the taking. And so right. uh, the, the, those all sort of lead to this, the, 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 the treaty, the, the history of the treaties and their the respective violations. And then the third thread was the Indian Act, uh, which is a piece of legislation still in place today, actually, that defines uh, indigenous people groups and, and who they are and what their powers are in, on, res, on reservations and so on. And I thought I'd add by, by reading uh, this really great quote uh, that I came across uh, by Sir John A. Macdonald, our first Prime Minister of Canada, of the Dominion of Canada. Uh, it's based on a speech he gave to the House of Commons in, in 1883. Yeah, so he said, 
Uh, so I quote, uh, when, the, when the school is on the reserve, the child lives with its parents who are savages. He, he is surrounded by savages. And though he may learn to read and write his habits and training and mode of thought are Indian. He is simply a savage who can read and write. It has been strongly pressed on myself as the head of the department that Indian children should be withdrawn as much as possible from the parental influence. And the only way to do that would be to put them in central training industrial schools where they will acquire the habits of modes and thought of white men. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, that's, that begs the question too, like there's no, there's no right wrong answer here, but you know, was it that, um, you know, the government and people in power back there were just misguided um, in their thinking? Um, or, you know, was, did they know like really what they were doing um, and, and they were doing it anyways, or, <laughs> and, and, did, or, and I guess it's also like, is, did they have the view that they were actually lesser people or, or not, not real people that should be treated accordingly? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't know. Cause I don't know their thoughts and um, like their, like what was going on behind, uh, behind, you know, inside their heads. But I, I do get the sense, and I, I mean, I, I haven't done a lot of, again, this is not an area that I've done tons of study and, and, and deep diving into more recently, yes, but not so much uh, in the past. But I do get the sense that they thought that what they were doing was, I don't, I mean, I don't think they were doing it deliberately to be uh, they weren't meaning to be destructive in a sense that they it wasn't it wasn't like we are we are here to perpetrate injustice genocide. or genocide yeah like like it wasn't done with the with the intention of of necessarily yeah i mean of causing of causing destruction but i mean like like the saying goes you know like the road to hell is paved with good intentions right yeah, yeah. and good intentions don't necessarily justify what you do and so uh, and so I think, I, in some ways, it is it is um, it is tempting to look back at, at historical figures and judge them based on 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 mm-hmm. on our standards of, yeah. of the day. Right. Uh, and I think it's it's it is okay to do. I think it is important. I mean, that's how uh, human knowledge moves: is by you know you build up, uh, and so it's okay to look back and say, okay, that was that was not right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like I think it's it is important to contextualize as well. Yeah. Uh, but also understand that yes, even though certain groups of settlers were, were were acting this way, that it wasn't a common it wasn't necessarily a common sentiment. Like there were people who who thought differently, and that they've always been um, dissidents, right? Like in any any sort yes. of movement they've always been dissidents and there were always people who who are uncomfortable with the with the with the major mode of doing things and so there were there were folks who were not uncomfortable with that as well and so i think it is um while i wouldn't necessarily I'm, i don't know i what their hearts were and no, where they came from that's right um i mean the outcomes were still uh in in, in absolute terms have been evil right yeah and so Sometimes it's un, yeah unintended consequences, perhaps you know, but so can I just read you a quote? It's 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 a little lengthy, but I think you'll I think it's really good. I came across um, uh, an article by a guy called a journalist called Jonathan Thompson, who seems very very thoughtful, and this is what he wrote. And I'm just reading excerpts. I think it is healthy for us to see historical figures in their full humanity, which includes their vices as well as their virtues, and to understand the complexity of previous ideologies with their tangled webs of noble aspirations and crass self-interests. A more clear-eyed view of the past can teach us humility and warn us against assuming our own moral primacy. In studying the errors of our predecessors, we should be better able to identify our own hypocrisies and ethical blind spots. He says, I find that many of today's loudest critics, those most eager to see statues torn down and names stripped from buildings, are instead firmly convinced of these two things, the undeniable sinfulness of our predecessors and the indisputable righteousness of ourselves. 
their efforts seem aimed not at learning from historical mistakes to create a more enlightened presence, but rather at flogging our forebears as a way to exhibit and assert their own moral superiority. I find this view deeply disconcerting for a couple of reasons. The first is that demanding moral perfection is a fruitless exercise. Insisting that we should only celebrate people who have lived blameless lives, blameless, that is, according to our current 21st century standards, is going to leave us with few, if any, moral archetypes. Abraham Lincoln, despite his role in ending slavery, certainly expressed his share of racist sentiments over the years. While Martin Luther King Jr., despite being a man of God, was also a womanizer and an adulterer. Should we renounce these men and no longer celebrate their courageous deeds or quote their inspiring speeches? Winston Churchill, who stood up to fascism and helped save democracy in the West, was also an implacable opponent of Mahatma Gandhi and the struggle for Indian independence. Uh, I can't say the name of this other guy, anyway, who helped Haiti overthrow its European rulers and end plantation slavery was himself a slave owner who happily allied with the colonial powers when it suited him. Human beings are extraordinarily complicated. Each man or woman is both a unique individual and a product of their time and place. We gain nothing by trying to find moral paragons, especially given that each age assumes its own new set of ethical standards. So it could be simultaneously true that Jefferson was very politically progressive for his time, but was also heavily influenced by the prevailing race and class sentiments of that era Here, coming to an end. A second challenge is this. How can we possibly think that people 100 years from now will view us any more favorably? Are those who would today condemn someone like Theodore Roosevelt for expressing the racist and sexist sentiments of his time actually convinced that they themselves will not be similarly con condemned by future generations? I can't imagine that such will be the case. It presumes that some of us living now have achieved moral perfection and that no more progress can be made. It also ignores the aforementioned fact that morals and values evolve and change over time. There are behaviors and mentalities today practiced even by our most woke virtue signalers that will no doubt seem horrifying to our distant progeny. And then he gives examples. A hundred years from now, people who are like animal rights activists might look back and just be absolutely condemning of us for how we ate meat. Because most of us are not vegans, you know, um, and just say that 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 would be there to be a moral equivalence between that and what John A. Macdonald did, you know, or what Hitler did or, you know, uh, but I thought that quote was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what, what's complicated about that is. I think there's, there's a bit of a, of a difference between. Um, I think expect like the term like a moral paragon, right? Uh, like a lot of the the examples, like Martin Luther King and um, uh, more. I'm thinking like someone like Lincoln, even right? Like Lincoln, uh, we do we do link them very very explicitly to 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 moral movements, civil rights, uh, ending of slavery. There, there's a there's a very strong moral component to that. Um, and so we celebrate them for, you know, even someone like, you know, um, oh, I'm blanking. What's his name? Amazing Grace. Uh, oh, yeah, Amazing William Grace. Wilberforce. Yeah, Wilberforce, right? Yeah. Um, who had his demons. He struggled with his demons too, uh, addiction, like addictions to, to, to certain drugs and so on. Uh, but they had sort of explicit connections to, some, to, to, to a moral movement. Uh, and so we celebrate them because of that. I think there's a difference between that versus sure, okay, uh, like like a quantitative difference, right? Between that and celebrating people who are just political figures, um, and and so that that's I think that that's one piece there. And I think the second piece that complicates that narrative as well is that um, so the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So that's something that was. Uh, it was brought about in, in 2007, actually, and then it was actually formed and in action between 2009 and 2015, so six years. Yep. Um, it, was, it was completely driven by, by, by Indigenous people, by First Nations people. I mean, the government, the federal government funded them, uh, but it was under the direction of Justice Barry Sinclair, who's uh, one of our Supreme Court judges in, in, in Canada, and he's Indigenous himself. Uh, it was under the direction that the TRS, uh, 
Truth and Reconciliation Commission, or TRC in short, uh, actually took place. And so it was it was completely directed and run by, by First Nations people. And um, at the end of the six years, you know, they, they interviewed some 6,000 plus uh, individuals who've been affected by uh, residential schools yep. uh, and by the Indian Act and so on. And, and so they had these all these survivor testimonies and stories. And at the end, they had 94 recommendations that came out. Mm-hmm. And a couple of things that a couple of things that sort of struck me about this is that uh, one of the outcomes is that they talked about what happened to 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 indigenous people as being cultural genocide was is the official term used there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there's like a reference to 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 other forms of of, of genocide, and, um, and so in this case, it says you know. Um, Cultural genocide in this case was the because it was the intentional destruction of of structures and practices that allowed the group to continue as a group. So you know different indigenous groups to continue. As and groups. also the idea that you know kill the Indian in the child. Exactly right. And right. so it was like yeah. that intentional bent towards destruction right. of political and social institutions, seizure of land, forcible dispossession, curtailment of movement, language ban, ban on spiritual practices, yes. were, right. and leaders were persecuted, families were disrupted and torn apart. So all of that was 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 very concerted, intentional thing. It was just like accidental thing that happened on the side. And so all of those things led the, led the commission to label what happened here as cultural genocide, which is kind of a, I, I haven't seen that term before. And so it's, it's a bit of a unique framing. And the framing of genocide obviously throws, like to me, brings brings to mind uh, things that have happened in, in in sort of the world's history, right? I think back to Nazi Germany and the genocide, like the Holocaust and, and, the, and the genocide of, of the Jewish people there. And then things like, you know, Rwanda and the genocide between the Tutsis and the Hutus uh, and so on, right? Uh, and then like, you know, apartheid, apartheid in, in South Africa and the concerted sort of right. suppression and genocide of, of right. Black people there as right. well. And... In, in the case of 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 Germany, like I've been to Germany, uh, spent a good chunk of time in Munich and and Berlin, and there, there's a very specific way they've approached their past. Like uh, there isn't an effort to to gloss over it or an effort to to pretend that it doesn't happen. Like it's everywhere, uh, memorials to to the war, uh, and memorials to like the people who lost their lives. Uh, like Jewish people, and there's like a Holocaust memorial. There's public art. There's the Holocaust museums, and it's just everywhere. But there also is a is a is a is a very intentional movement to not um, lionize or even like right. memorialize any of the people who are involved in it, like the perpetrators. Like there's no statues, no memorials anywhere to Hitler, Goebbels, Goring, right. like any right. of those those characters. In fact, we actually we did a World War II tour in in Berlin. And we we were shown uh, Hitler's uh, great not grave site, but the site where his bunker was located, where he died because he died in a bunker. And there's no indication. And the, our, our guide was Australian, that's why he he did this. And he was like, "We're not like if I was German, I would not be doing this because this is not something we we do as as good Germans. But because I'm not, I'll tell you guys. This is where Hitler's bunker is. It's underground." And what's on top is uh, is just a, is a playground, like a kid's playground. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right? Like no indication that, that this happened there. And so, uh, yeah, that there's there's a very specific approach taken to it in in terms of like the public conversation around it. Uh, and then like even with some of the other truth and reconciliation commissions that we've seen, that the, that the Canadian one was kind of structured after, like the South African one. And the one in Rwanda as well, which have both been very powerful, actually, uh, and been very effective in trying to bring about the uh, or start that movement towards reconciliation. Uh, what was different about those things is that it was it was a partnership between it, it was driven by people who were like the people who were who were wounded, like the the people who were marginalized as part of the conflict, like the like the the people like like you know the black people in South Africa drove it, but it also involved the perpetrators. Um, it did, yeah. Who were involved in it, were part of that process, whereas our, our TRC did not have any of that. Like there was no, well, because South, tra- yeah, South Africa, Desmond Tutu, and Nelson Mandela, I think, were very much at the forefront of that. Correct, and they yeah. said to people, "You'll have immunity if you come forward and exactly. tell us about your crimes." Right? Yeah. I don't think we've done anything quite 
Not even, no, not even close. It was completely, as I said, like it was completely, it's called like a, a tribunal approach or something. I think is the official term. Yeah. Like, like it, it was completely driven by, by indigenous people and there was no involvement of or any effort made to really reach out to any um, people who were connected to residential schools or, you know, uh, policy, like Indian agents, as they were called, like people who were involved with Indian affairs and so on. Um, like there was no movement towards that. And there hasn't been either, actually, since 2015. And the, the, the TRC recommendations came out as well. So I think that there is a bit of a difference Today, as a spiritual exercise, we will be meditating and praying through the Lord's Prayer using the King James translation. I will read a portion of the prayer, then a call for reflection, followed by 15 seconds of silence for you to respond in your own prayer. Feel free to pause if you need more time. Let's begin. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, we acknowledge you are our Father and our Lord. Show us what it looks like to be your devoted children and dedicated subjects. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to revel in the mystery of your kingdom. Your kingdom that is already among us is coming right now and will be fully revealed one day. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we remember all the things you have given us. And forgive us our debts. Lord, we reflect on the last week and confess sins we have committed against you and others. As we forgive our debtors, Lord, help us to let go of resentment, hate, anger, pride. Show me who I need to give grace to. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Holy Spirit, give us the fruits of goodness and self-control. Give us perseverance. Give us abundant grace to shun sin and step more fully into your light. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what do, I mean, what do we do and how, how do we respond? Because we're, you know, like us as individuals aren't responsible for perpetrating a lot of this um, and even like I mean Samal and I are immigrants too and this isn't right. necessarily in our yeah. um, like in our blood or whatever mm-hmm. um, but you know it, how, how do we respond like just as people but also the church as being not just implicit but actually complicit yeah. to, to a lot of this again and not us but our, our you know forebears or whatever yeah. Like how, how how do we respond? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just want to jump in because that quote that I read you, and I think, Shamal, you were kind of critiquing that a little bit, this uh, Jonathan Thompson, like, saying, like, you can't really compare Lincoln with John McDonald, <laughs> necessarily. I, don't, I think I was hearing you kind of say that. Uh, but, um, you know, I think there's a, there is a, a kind of a certain hypocrisy today when 
we stand in judgment upon our forebears and and just sort of say okay then the answer to this is you know what cancel culture is doing let's just you know it, it should we tear down statues and and things of that nature perhaps perhaps that's that's you know but is it the answer necessarily i don't know i think i think there needs to be more humility and i think in terms of us as christians even if we were to do that i think defacing things and throwing spray paint on things is certainly not the answer uh, to me I, I don't think it's the right way but uh I agree. For, yeah. yeah and for yeah. christians you know i think so if we hear about that happening should we say yeah i'm glad they did that i'm glad they 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 defaced those statues and you know um whatever but i don't think we should take that track and i think there needs to i think we really do need to be humble about this and part of what that means is we need to look to our own sins so he is without sin cast the first stone i think people are very very quick to cast stones so i do think that so i had a conversation with my grandson just a few days ago so my grandson was the one who taught me that dad or grandpa or papa he said it's not aboriginal people we call them indigenous and he said there's three groups and they have three different histories and cultures there is first nations there's inuit and then there's metis and uh and i went okay so i started reading up on that you know and so because we tend to look at it as a monolithic entity and, and all that but we need to appreciate those three different streams there and um but i said to him i said so you know that there's been a lot of apologies you know by the government and people are apologizing and i said i said i asked my grandson he's 13. so i asked finley and i said so do you think an apology is 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 good and he goes yeah yeah i think we should apologize and i said is it enough so I was really asking about what does restorative justice look like? I didn't use that term, but I said, what do you think? And, and I said, do you think maybe we should, maybe we should just give the land back? Like we stole it from you. And he said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, so we had this deep conversation about like, well, so what would that mean for us? Like, you know, is that practical? Is it right? You know, but I think, the the problem that i'm having right now and it does i'm what i'm questioning is what do we do as a church mm -hmm. um is that first of all i don't think us condemning and standing in judgment harshly upon our forebears is right i really don't i think we need to give our heads a shake if we're doing that it's very very easy to do that and condemn others uh because we don't know exactly like that quote you read by john a mcdonald shamal really disturbed me i thought I didn't realize he said that. I thought that was horrible, you know, what he said. You know, this idea that they're savages and, you know, um, horrible, horrible. And so uh, that shocks me. So if hearing that kind of thing, I guess I, I can sort of understand why people would want to get rid of those statues, you know, I suppose. Yeah. I, I mean, as, as Christians, though, like we, we do need to, like it's easy to to pick a side, right? Like it's easy it's easy to sort of pick one side or the other based yeah. on like the public dialogue or whatever passes as public dialogue these days, um, uh, which is often like like we've talked about it with some of our other podcasts as well, like the polarization and the tribalism that you see, which is like you get these extreme right. like one or the other, right? Um, and as Christians, like we're not supposed to use the methods of Babylon. To, to 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 function inside Babylon, right? So I think like a couple of things that come to mind, like when I when I, when I even think about like, well, what is like in order to like it's this idea of like truth and reconciliation, right? Like in order to get to reconciliation, like and, and I don't think reconciliation is necessarily even the correct word to use. And this is not me. I'm drawing on something I read by Mark Buchanan, who's a, uh, yep. he's a theologian and a pastor, and he teaches at Ambrose University. And he's, um, he actually said that, you know, um, reconciliation, like the, the re, the re part of reconciliation uh, implies that we're going back to like, we're fixing something that is, that was broken, but in order for something to be broken, it needs to be in whole at some point. And the idea wasn't. being that there was, yeah, there was a time in the past when we had, uh, as, as, as like settlers, like we had like a healthy relationship with indigenous people. And the thing is the history doesn't bear that out. Like there never was a time when there was actually like a time of, of, of healthy God honoring relationships. So, 
We're not restoring anything. It's not, it's not restoration. And so he said like the word reconciliation is actually a bit of a misnomer. Uh, And he actually talks about maybe what we need to focus on is like together working with our indigenous brothers and sisters to, to just craft uh, a new story. Uh, Yeah. I think story was, it was uh, like a new story or like a restoring of uh, sort of the, the restoration, like the restoring, like a new story moving forward, as opposed to trying to go back to like reconciliation. So the, that's that's one piece that I want to sort of add there. Okay. And I think the second piece is that uh, just the fact that um, you know, I'm, like the indigenous people uh, of Canada were willing to 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 say, okay, we need to we need to go through this process of go go through this process of of truth and reconciliation tells me that that there is an interest in in restorative justice uh, you know a term that you've been using brian um like there isn't as much of a, a desire to punitively just punish and and then and then just like it's going to fix right. things like that's not like that's right. not what the intent is uh, and it actually it says this in the trc report like the whole purpose of this is not to solve anything but it is to create like a baseline that we can start mm-hmm. moving towards reconciliation right yes and so you know it, it's it's almost like they've come like like they like either just people can it's almost like they've they've done all the work for us in many sense in, in many ways like they've done all this uh like the, the the telling of stories collecting of the stories like the hard work for collecting all of this stuff and then they put together 94 recommendations mm-hmm. six of which are specifically only six actually uh, which is pretty good considering the central role that churches played in, you know, operating mm-hmm. in residential schools. They had six that were specifically t- aimed towards churches, but out of the 94. And, and so they've done a lot of the work. And so for us, it's like, it's figuring out, okay, as Christians, what does, like, what do we do now? And for me, like the, a couple of the first stories that came to mind were the story of Josiah and Daniel, mm-hmm. like King, King Josiah, right? Second, second, second Chronicles thirty four, right? Where, where Josiah, where we introduced to, 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 to King Josiah, and he's, it says, you know, he was, he was a kid, and he was, he was righteous in, in God's eyes. He did what was right, uh, and he started tearing down the high places. So he was a righteous king. He, he had not done anything overtly wrong at that point in time, and then they discover the book of God's law, which Israel had long forgotten, and. When it's brought to King Josiah and he has it read to him, uh, you know, he tears his robes. There's this overt act of, 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 of repentance of saying what I did was like what, what, what we've been doing is wrong. Now, Josiah himself, it's, it's important to keep in mind, Josiah himself has, has, as far as we know, has not actually broken God's law necessarily. But there was a collective sense of guilt. But there was a collective sense of guilt. There's a collective sense of like repentance as well, right? Beginning saying we have done wrong and then he, he brings together the whole nation of Israel, and he very clearly says, our forebearers screwed up. Well, not in so many words, not screwed up, but like, you know, our forebearers really messed up and we did not pay attention to God's law. And, and because of that, we need to repent because of what our forebearers did. Uh, we, we need to repent and then move forward uh, in, that, in that after having repented and lamented for what our forebearers did, then we need to figure out a new way forward. And then he takes concrete action afterwards. Uh, to, to ensure that God's law is, is, is put into practice. And then we see the same thing with Daniel as well, right? Like in Daniel chapter something, um, uh, you know, he, he um, like Daniel is like a paragon of virtue in the Bible, right? Like he's one of the few. Oh, Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter nine. I know right. what you mean. I know what that's you right. mean. Yep, yep. In Daniel chapter nine. It's a he's, prayer. He's a yeah. prayer where he says, he takes on the sin of, of Israel and he says, mm-hmm. we have mm-hmm. sinned. I confess our sin. Yep. Uh, and then he, he sort of prays out repentance and confession on behalf of, 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 of the nation of Israel. And so um, I think as, as a first step, it is important as, as Christians, as the church, as, um, you know, the body of Christ that have been, you know, the new Israel in many ways, um, I think it is important, even though we might not have officially, none of us have, none of us have had have had our fingers involved with being, you know, dipped in this pie of of uh, uh, you know intentionally marginalizing or oppressing yeah. these people. So when you say we, though, like mm-hmm. I'm I'm white, I'm you know white Anglo, so I I represent. You guys don't represent that group that has that guilt. No, but. 
Well, we're all Canadian, though, right? Like we're all benefiting from. So it's like, not skin color here. We're not talking about. It's not. No, okay, I don't ethnicity. Think it, we're not I don't talking. Think it is because, no. because it was white Europeans, though, right? Yeah. That came over, right? And they said, you know, these people are savages. We need to tame them and, you know, make them like us and you know, drive the the savage out of them. Drive the you know, so the Indian out of them. Basically, was the idea, right? But I mean, do you guys have that culpability that? ancestral culpability that i would have i mean i, I i'm having trouble with that maybe help me with that shamal because i or ryan it might be it might be maybe like us who participate in this current system that has um treated you know this this people okay. unjustly like on on the backs right okay. so i mean yeah like like i am an immigrant um but i've been able to go to you know to to public school here and you know university setting and like it's all on on treaty land and so i'm a beneficiary of the colonialism of these european people mm -hmm. i've benefited in ways that the indigenous people have not that's that's what you're saying yeah oh wow i you know i hadn't even thought of it that way before i i was really thinking of it more related to you know part of like it was white european you know europeans and that we share this okay interesting yep. yeah so you, you guys feel that too mm. Yeah. Mm. well and, and then there, there's the other sense too where i am a christian and like i i think there is some i don't know like uh, culpability there ooh. as well I, um and i mean wow. that, that's an interesting one because we're not catholic um but there was anglicans presbyterians and united yeah yeah yeah, well, no Nazarenes. <laughs> but but you know what? It's interesting. I hadn't thought of that because I guess another similarity in terms of you know the what am I trying to say? We're part of a group called Christians, Christ followers, and the church. Like Shemal, you gave the history, but the government asked the churches to to superintend these residential schools, correct? And so, but we're part of the church right that group so in that sense you're saying because you guys identify as christians that they were for we share some sense of collective guilt and, yeah i don't think yeah i think it def there definitely is a gray area there like I, I think it's it is it is difficult to just be like okay or, or for someone to say oh you are a christian therefore you need to apologize um on behalf of the church i don't i don't know if that like i don't know how i'd feel about that um but really i guess I, that person i don't know has to identify mm. yeah i I'm, I'm not sure really how to tease that out and i think that's where that's why i think like the biblical concept of justice needs to be talked about here as well right like so mm -hmm. and i think this is a this is really at the core of of this conversation too right because uh so like the 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 hebrew word for justice is um, I'm probably not going to say it right because I don't speak I've, Hebrew. I've got it here. It's Sadak, 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 Sadaka, Sadak, and and it's it's the same word that's used for righteousness. No, right? in the in the Hebrew, the word for righteousness, I, uh, righteousness is Sadaka, and the word for justice is Mishpat. And Greek gets the word uh, Dikaios or Dikaiosune. Dikaiosune, yeah. Right, and in the Hebrew. It's um, the right the righteousness in the Old Testament was sadaka, sadaka, right? And it does it um, it does not mean piety uh, or adhering to abstract moral norms. It means fulfilling the obligations of of the covenant relationship. If you're so, but it, sadaka means righteousness, and mishpat is justice. It's also a, a covenant word, but it's more of a forensic or legal sense of the word. Uh, concerned with judicial proceedings right so they're both they're both tied to this idea of covenant right right they both and, are. like that idea of righteousness and and covenant like the first covenant that we see in the bible is in is in genesis right uh god creates humans right um and then there is this covenant between god and, and and human beings yes um and that covenant emerges out of this um like god creating something out of out of uh, out of nothing like um 
but but it is also sort of like ordering of chaos, right? Like there, there's a sense of order being imposed on 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 what what already there, on like you know like the, the the raw materials or whatever. So it's like making something out of nothing. Uh, there's a sense of like order emerging out of something that just wasn't. Right. Um, and then sort of this inv- invitation that he extends to to humans, because I mean, the first thing that he does is he he like, you know, he gets Adam to start naming animals and things. Right. So, <laughs> so like Adam's joining him in work uh, and, and imposing a certain amount of order on like the creation, like putting adding names to animals and things like that. And then like he he. The, the invitation to, to humans afterwards of like, you know, uh, going out and subduing creation uh, and being fruitful and multiplying that that's, that's all sort of tied to this idea of like order as well and creating like, like a rightness and like, a, like, a, like bringing things together. Um, and so, um, and that that's all sort of goes back to this idea of 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 God's covenant with 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 with, with this yeah. created with this created order, right. but but particularly with his image bearers, right? And so um, I think when we when we uh, talk about the biblical conception of justice being tied to that, uh, the point, like the thrust of what he was, what he was. Um, commissioning his like the humans to do in terms of like ordering creation and and making and continuing sort of the work that he'd started of like making something out of nothing right uh was to was this other biblical word that we use which is like shalom right like which yeah. i think we often think of it shalom as being peace but it is our peace like so the absence of conflict but shalom yeah. is actually much thicker oh, like yeah. deep, deeper word than that right like it is it is like rightness. It is like a completion. It is like a sense of fullness mm-hmm. and like something has, has achieved what it was meant to be. Right. So I think like all these words like shalom, righteousness and, and justice are all sort of tied together and like interlinked here. Um, and and they're all sort of the thrust is like right, like making, like creating right order in order to enable flourishing of God's good creation. Right. So, right. so I think, I mean, that's, that's sort of the concept that, uh, the, the idea of like a biblical conception of justice, which I think is like incredibly thick, is is incredibly meaningful when it's anchored in that. Right. It is this idea that it is like m- making things right. It mm-hmm. is it is it is it is creating a sense of wholeness and completion, right? Uh, which is actually quite different. Not not different, but it is it is like a significant. Uh, addition or like uh, 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 like a augmentation of of our, of our more sort of secular concept of justice, uh, right, right. which uh, which in many ways you know owes a lot in in recent times to this philosopher John Rawls is his name who did a lot of work around justice and his his sort of conception was that justice is fairness um, and fairness both in process as well as outcomes mm-hmm. uh, and so yes fairness is part of a biblical concept, conception of, ju- of justice but it is also much bigger than that right mm-hmm. and so um, and then we see like the, the story uh, you know Genesis 2 onwards is how this God's uh, right sh- shalom you know complete creation was was repeatedly violated time and time again like the rightness was 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 constantly disrupted beginning with with the serpent uh getting you know the first humans to to to, to question god's goodness and then to, and to break that rightness and then we see Cain and Abel and injustice being enacted there brokenness right. uh you know Lamech the Tower of Babel and so on right it just sort of cycles down um and then and then we see we see God's God's sort of uh that concept of like justice being at the core of what he calls people to enact in terms of like you know bringing order and rightness and completion and shalom uh, we see that you know cycling around again in 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 the law and the and in the in like the law that he gives uh israel after he brings them out of egypt like he says very specifically in deuteronomy like you know i'm bringing you out and um i need you to to remember how you were um oppressed by the egyptians Right. And, the, and 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 make sure you treat people who are on the margins of society uh, with with dignity and respect and love, uh, because you were treated so differently by Egypt by 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 Pharaoh, right? Yes. So keep like keep that in so, mind. Don't forget don't where forget. you came from. Yeah, exactly. Like don't forget right. where you came from, and right. so and so then act differently, and then like you know. Uh, like the more I, I I read Deuteronomy recently, like the more I'm like in context, like historical context, 
and the more I'm blown away by, by just how uh, so many of the of the laws given there are so applicable to today and have their roots. So much of what we consider to be human rights and animal rights and uh, environmental rights, a lot of those things have their roots in like the Jewish in, in the Torah, right? Like in, in yes. Deuteronomy, right. uh, for example, you know, like uh, Deuteronomy 23 talks about the treatment of runaway slaves. Don't give them back to their masters. They shall live among you free of oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, treatment of women as war captives. Uh, treat them mm-hmm. well. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, restrictions on corporal punishment. Deuteronomy yeah. 15, assisting the widows, orphans, and marginalized. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, I challenge anyone to read Deuteronomy 15 today in like understandable English and not be not be like holy macro like this is this is this is crazy stuff that that, that, that would be difficult to implement even today uh right and the property rights in deuteronomy 23 and so on right like yeah. there's, there's all these things of like ordering and rightness that, that that god sort of builds into his concept of justice right and how his people should be living right and then like we see it over and over again in the in the, in the prophets afterwards like one of the main reasons why uh israel goes into exile is because of their failure to worship the law of their god as they were called to you know the first commandment and then secondly they fail to love their neighbor by enacting justice by by all of all of these reasons right and i mean so many like really pithy just verses that capture this in 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 the prophets that i think we forget often like i think of you know things like isaiah 58 right uh, you know verse 6 that says is this not the fast i choose to loosen the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go yeah. free, and to break every yoke. Uh, and then, you know, Amos 5, 21 to 24. I hate it. Despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and so on. Uh, and I will not listen to the melody of hops, but let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Right. Um and, you know, like time and time again, there's this theme of like injustice and, and the lack of wholeness and rightness being it, uh, it, enacted. And it's interesting that passage in Amos chapter five that you quoted mm-hmm. right before it, he condemns them for their false worship. Yes. Because he said, I can't stand the sounds of your songs. And, of your songs. I hate, yeah. I hate, I hate your shows basically, right? Your worship yeah. has become a show and I hate it. I yeah. can't stand and it. While because... all this injustice is happening exactly. and you're doing this. Yeah. And so, which is really... I'd be convicting for, for us. Like, so again, coming back to Ryan's question, you know, like, what is that saying to us? Uh, can, can we dance and party and say, you know, all is well, you know, cause we're doing okay. Yeah. No, and it leaves, it asks the question. I think it leaves it hanging for us to, to figure out, well, you know, you know, Christ, like there's this, this thick concept of, of justice and rightness built in of, of justice as making things right. And, 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 and like wholeness, and shalom that's built into like the old testament and then we see jesus um you, you know like the, the the way he shows god's justice is by subjecting himself yeah. to, to um um extreme injustice right like i mean yes yes uh, <laughs> while at the same time saying this is what god's kingdom looks like it looks like using the, the power that, that I have um, to, to, to heal, to, to, to bring about, uh, to, fix, to fix what's broken in terms of like, you know, he, healing people's diseases, casting out demons, um, and then calling people to repentance. Because, I mean, he, that's one of the things that he um, calls his, when he sends out the 72 and the, and the 12, uh, you know, he gives them power to to heal to heal diseases and to cast out demons. But then he also uh, they go out and they say, you know, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And then they're baptized, and then they heal and they cast out demons. Right? Those are the things that they do. There's a call to repentance, turning around, not continuing in the same direction. And then there's like baptism, that sense of outward commitment to to a different way, to a different path. And then there's like the healing and the rightness, the healing and the making things right there that's happening. And so I think, I mean, that, that, that really, that really says, I think that should say something to us as, as Christians in terms yeah. of like, okay, what does, what does, uh, what does he making, making whole healing look like for us uh, as, as Christ's body today um, um, and enacting justice? Like, yes. I mean, Maybe it means, yes, pushing for, for different policies, 
But I think it is so much bigger than that as well as, 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 as the church itself, like we are called to actually carry out the healing ourselves, right? Like if, if, mm-hmm. if his disciples mm-hmm. carried out the healing themselves uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit by abiding in Christ and as part of that whole process of bearing fruit and living out that love, it's, uh, it is going out and, and, and enacting healing, right? And so, yes, I mean, I think, I believe that the Holy Spirit is well and alive and active today. And so there's supernatural ways in which healing, we can definitely be carrying out supernatural means of healing. But I think it's also just going to, right? Like I think about the fact that there was this constant theme of like movement and going to that we've talked about before. Jesus went to people. He sent his 72 out to people. He sent the 12 out to people. And then he commissioned people to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so making disciples for us here in this process, it was part of like making disciples is also enacting that uh, making whole what's broken, that, that justice and the shalom peace. Um, and so I think f- f- for us, it, it, it means being willing to do that, right? Like going out to, to people who are hurt and broken. Uh, and I think we have a much easier time doing it with, uh, with, um, with almost like a non-indigenous, non-indigenous people, but it seems to be much harder to do it with, uh, with, with folks, uh, with indigenous people with like going on to, like, I don't know how many of us have spent time on reserves, right? Uh, right. and like gone there and like yeah. made connections and spent time with people. And so like, I think that's, that's, that's some, that's, that's a place where we need to be willing to go to. I'm not saying, I'm not necessarily advocating that we just go ahead and do it right now. I think there's a wise way of approaching it, but there is a place that we need to be willing to go to. This was part one of our discussion on race. In the next episode, we will be discussing polarization in the church as it relates to racial justice issues and concerns with liberal theology. Again, as Sermal alluded to, there are many resources. If you want to deepen your understanding of indigenous history and issues, go to firstnaz.ca slash podcast and click on episode six to find a list. We know there's so much more to cover and acknowledge there are many other great perspectives and questions out there and want to hear from you. You can leave a comment or question there or send us an email at mindthegap at firstnaz.ca. Now, let's go make Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and passion for people.